Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Hey, Look, Listen. I am Owner Reardon, and joining me today, as always, Liam Sheehan and Jonathan Marcy. Gents, how are you doing? Pretty good, Owen. How are you? I am very well. I'm up the scaredy cat tree. I'm surrounded by horror games. It's a great time to be alive. <laughs> I guess I'm doing all right as well. Uh, wasn't expecting that, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into today's game in which we're going to talk about, as always, let's do a bit of a roundtable on what we're playing. Liam, I'm going to start with you. Well, um, one of my most anticipated games of the year just released, um, but I haven't played it yet. Um, Abe's Odyssey. Do you remember Abe's Odyssey from the PS1? Yeah. No way! Yeah, yeah. So they're after releasing the second remake, oh uh, Soulstorm, which is a, which is a remake of Abe's Exodus. So I I'm a huge fan of that franchise, the PS1 game. So I wanted to go back and play um, the first remake, the 2014's um, Oddworld: New and Tasty, which is a remake of the PS1 Abe's Odyssey. So I've been playing that. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Um, huge fan of that franchise. I will say though, do you ever have that thing where it's just like you know? Like this is it, it's a it's a really faithful remake, which is great. You know, it's it's pretty much the same game, just better graphics. You know, better everything. But you know, so I just I can't fight the nostalgia. Playing it is just making me want to go back and play the the nineteen ninety seven PS one one. So I think one of the one of the things about that game is like um, it's just so crucial to it is like just the aesthetics, like the sound effects, the pre rendered mm-hmm. backgrounds. It's also it's just so lovely in nineties and PS one. I ooze it. I remember it oozing like, charm. Like it's uh, yeah. Ava's character is yeah. like just oozes charm. And as much as I'm enjoying this one that came out in 2014, and I know in my heart it is like the better version of the game. It's actually just every time I like I play it for an hour, or so I just kind of wish I was like, oh, I wish I was playing the, the PS1 one. But I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I just find those games really absorbing in general. I just I I, I like the world. I just like really like the gameplay. I like the kind of all based around dying over and over again and learning your lessons from it, which might frustrate some people. Just it's, it's one of those games where there's a spe- one specific way to do every room and you have to suss that out, which not might be might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I, I kind of enjoy um, figuring it out through trial and error. But um, hopefully in the next episode, I'll be talking about the actual new release, Soulstorm, which um, I'm avoiding all reviews because it snuck up on me. I completely forgot it was coming out. I've been looking forward to it. And I don't think it's getting amazingly good reviews, but I've already bought it off sheer brand loyalty, like a happy consumer. And um, yeah, so I'm playing Abe's Odyssey or New and Tasty this week, but hopefully next week I'll have more to say about the the sequel. To it. Yeah, for whatever reason, I thought it was a PlayStation Five exclusive, so I no, might actually—is it, it free on PlayStation Plus? No, it's free on PlayStation Plus on the PlayStation Five, which I learned after I spent fifty quid on it. Oh, very wow. very bitter. But I don't have a PS Five, so it, it is on the PS Four if you want to play it. If you want to drop the money, but yeah, fucking PS Five got it for free. Irritating. Did, didn't you use <laughs> to do? Uh, you spelled to do an impression of Abe, didn't you, Liam? Am I remembering that back to a long time know. ago? I think you did. This is going to be a recurring segment where you ask me to do impressions of things each episode, and I become increasingly embarrassed. <laughs> Let, let's see how good this impersonation you know, like, is, and we'll go from there. Hello, hello, follow me. Okay, Rolda. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can edit all that out. Don't worry. About that. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's worth uh, including. Is it? No, no. Uh, I, I, I've been playing uh, again second week in a row where one of our earlier episodes has got me back into playing something else. Um, Super Mario Galaxy. Oh, really? I never, yeah, I never, I, and I'd actually never finished it, never completed it, never really played it that much when I was younger. Um, and after shitting all over that Mario collection so so much, uh, kind of taking it back a bit now. Um, yeah. Mario Galaxy is just absolutely. Superb. How do the controls um, hold up? Because I remember that being really. Like it was a joy to play with the Wii Remote and the nunchuck. Like it felt, you know, properly intuitive. The pointing, even though it doesn't really add a lot, but collecting stars just felt like a fun gimmick. Yeah, it feels good. Feels good. Yeah, yeah it, do, it does feel good. It's rewarding to collect them. Uh, I unfortunately only have one Joy-Con, as one of my Joy-Cons broke uh, finally a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I've been using the Pro Controller, and it's not bad. Mm. Yeah. Um, Obviously, people listening can't see me right now, but I will do a demonstration. I literally am playing it like this, and then I'll kind of have to move and dodge to, to pick them up. So it doesn't add to anything at all with yeah. the gameplay. Um, but honestly, man, it's just that game from the presentation. The music is fantastic. Yeah, that music it's, is unreal. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Just there's no filler at all uh, for, for oh, a, a yeah. merry game. Yeah, so I, I, I've been playing that a lot and absolutely loving it. Well, it's funny because a game that has less filler and is a better game is Mario Galaxy 2, which should have been included in the package to begin with. 
it's so weird. It's only like slightly better, but it is just fundamentally better. It's just kind of they had the engine and the mechanics in in, in stone, and they just designed better levels and just better uh, mechanics. Um, it's a sin that people can't uh, like anyone who hasn't played that game can't just buy it on Switch. You know? Yeah, it's awful. I am playing Resident Evil Two. I started it Dude, yesterday. Roger, you're, you're full of the spooks. I am. I'm, I'm full just going... of the spooks. <laughs> As I said, what a time to be alive. No, um, Capcom were doing a sale on Steam. And as I text both of you yesterday, this is the dangerous part of being in the PC world now where the sales are just kind of outrageous. So I picked up Resident Evil 4 for $5 and Resident Evil 2 for $20. And I'm about two, two and a half hours into Resident Evil 2. I'm just got into the sewers. I've just fought that uh, lovely boss who is just a bit frustrating. That game is beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. That uh, Ori engine is just uh, so glorious to look at. It's super weird seeing the re uh, remodels of Claire and Leon in comparison to what they look like in my in my mind of where I played the original Resident Evil 2, which, of all places, was actually on the N64 and not the PlayStation version. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, Leon just looks like a really young, like, Dane DeHaan or Leonardo DiCaprio now. They're based off... Their faces are based off humans. They're based off of models. Really? So there are people in the world who look like Leon and Claire and Jill in the Resident Evil 3 remake as well. That's Yeah, it's a bit jarring, to be completely honest with you. Um, they like, Leon looks super, super young, and so does Claire. And I didn't. They're supposed to be like. It's yeah, his first day. Like, um, yeah, they're supposed to be like. Because it, it's a Japanese game. I think they're supposed to be like 18, 19. You know, the protagonists can, are in Japanese games are always teenagers. I know Claire is supposed to be only like 18 or something. Yeah, it comes like it comes across. The, their character remodels definitely look at it. Uh, for anyone who hasn't played it, I highly recommend It is terrifying as well. And I can count maybe on two hands now the amount of times that jump scares. And beyond with my girlfriend knocking on the door or walking past uh, the the den when I've been playing at the exact same moment. I'm not joking. It's purely coincidental yeah. of, of a, ju- a jump scare <laughs> happening in the game and I have leaped. Hi- highly recommend. So I'm looking forward to... I'll probably get my hands on Resident Evil 3 afterwards um, just to see what all the fuss is about that. Because I remember liking that original game a lot. Yeah, the, the 3 remake isn't as good as the 2 remake, unfortunately. It kind of has a... It's weird. It has a very similar kind of relationship that the Resident Evil, the old Resident Evil Three, has a Resident Evil Two. Mm-hmm. Very good, but just worse than Two. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. So, yeah. speaking of the scaries and the scary game ah! franchises, oh my god, we are of course are talking about actually one of my favorite games today, which is 2008's Dead Space. So I'll give you both a, a brief rundown of some development history when it was released, etc. cetera. Uh, Dead Space, released in 2008, would you believe, is a survival horror game developed by the now-defunct Visceral Games, formerly known as EA Redwood, and published by EA on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC. So the creation of Dead Space was by Glenn Schofield, who at the time actually wanted to create the most frightening horror game ever. So essentially he drew concepts from the Resident Evil series and the beloved Silent Hill series. And he often described during his pitch meetings and throughout the development process that Dead Space was actually Resident Evil in space. Uh, the, the, The first game wasn't a massive success, but spawned two sequels as well as spinoffs in uh, other video games uh, TV shows, uh, anime movies, I believe, and comics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Visceral Games, um, who was, I wanted to point out, are no longer exist, very, very sadly. Um, they closed down when EA essentially brought on the Star Wars license. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, Visceral hired Amy Hennig, who had an integral role in the creation of the Uncharted series specifically Uncharted uh, 1 through 3, and was later moved on from Uncharted 4 due to some rumors that we don't really know and have substantiation about. But they were working on a game called Ragtag, which sounded amazing, and I just wanted to shout that out. 
So this is a game that is truly near and dear to my heart, and we'll we'll talk about why. But I wanted to kick things off with you, Marcy, because you have stated on this podcast before that you don't like the scaries. No, I don't. And I wouldn't have played this game unless I had a podcast with Orna Reardon and Liam Sheehan. That's what's so uh, good so, about the podcast. We're yeah. broadening our horizons. No, no, yeah, I, I, I agree. So yeah, I, I have a weird relationship with uh, horror games and horror movies. They're never going to be the top of mind thing I want to watch to relax or you know de-stress or anything like that. So going into Dead Space, um, I purposely didn't do any direct research on it or didn't read anything about it. I'd heard stuff, obviously, from the years because it's so well known. Um, and I had a very wrong idea about what that game was um massively and we can get get into that later um but yeah i I wouldn't say i've overcome my how do i phrase this might overcome my uh it's not a dislike for horror games i I think i just don't like games that are are maybe rely on cheap trills a lot which i was expecting dead space to do but didn't incredible story really atmospheric um remind me a lot of one of my favorite movies of all time which is alien i thought Um, you were gonna say event horizon Sam Neill's finest hour. Um, <laughs> watching him I- inside out for an hour. <laughs> wonderful. Um, but no, I really, really enjoyed it, honestly. And I, yes, it is. Jeez, it's terrifying at times. But I wasn't as scared as I thought I was going to be. Um, but to Liam's point, yeah, I am glad I we picked a game that was very much outside my, uh, my comfort zone. Liam, what do you remember of your time with it? And did you replay it for the podcast? I did. I, I replayed it. I tried to find it... Uh, I confidently went onto the PlayStation Store going like anything from last generation is going to be available on the PlayStation Store, but it wasn't, um, which shocked me. And I don't have a PC right now. So I actually went home and got my old Xbox 360. And I'm proud of replaying this game that was a joy as well, was just the old the old Xbox mm-hmm. 360 was very nice to get it out again. My um, those um, kind of me rip-off avatar guys that they used to have, I turned it on and then I had a Banjo-Kazooie background and I had my little man who was wearing a Limbo t-shirt and a Red Dead Redemption hat. And I was like, oh, there it is. Now he's been sitting there for fucking 10 years. Just <laughs> 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 yeah, I absolutely, I um, I want it because it's a game I played, what year did you say on? 2008? 2008. That's crazy. It's a game I played when it came out and I haven't, hadn't played it since. So when you suggested doing it, I really did want to uh, play it again. And I did, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I won't go into too many details yet, but I will over the course of the podcast. I didn't have the exact reaction to replaying it that I thought I would, and it wasn't exactly the same game I remembered it being. I think playing it in 2021, I had a very different experience than playing it in 2008, and I think that's because of the other games that are on the market now Mm. that I think do things better than how dead space do it mm-hmm. and i'm not beginning this with it in a massive negative way because i thoroughly enjoyed it um i like i could barely put it down i honestly i it was one of those it was very more so i just kept wanting to keep playing it but i think i think the sands of time have kind of dulled it a little bit in my opinion much more than i was expecting to be honest because it's a game i remember loving it i always put it up there with the likes of portal 2 the last of us bioshock is like one of the best games of that generation and I actually think now I put it below those games I just mentioned after replaying it. That's very... I, I would agree. Um, as much as I gush about this game, I think it is... There's been an evolution. Um, and, you know, it, it happens. But the reason why I think in 2008 is kind of, you know, the position that it's in now, which is Dead Space really took inspiration from what was before it. You know, the I think the inspiration of probably Resident Evil, Resident Evil 4 cannot be understated. Oh, usually it wears it on its sleeve. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Uh, and absolutely. they really took, and I, I think the big thing was if you just look at how the game controls and that third person over the shoulder, it's almost a direct, you know, click copy and paste into into dead space um i think at the time something that dead space did um that other games you know have have really built on today is is immersion and i think that's where i want to kick off because i think it's a a really interesting place because dead space does this incredible um incredible thing where it lets the player have so much agency over what's actually 
going on. Um, so from, you know, the beginning of the game and, and the, you know, to preface, you know, story-wise, it's essentially about this, uh, this ship, the USG Ishimura, which is um, a pl- a planet resource sucker, essentially. Earth, a planet cracker. Planet cracker, yeah, beautiful, very generic. Mm. <laughs> uh, Earth has run out of resources to sustain its population, so the governments have sent out all of these planet crackers to 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 gather new resources, and the Ishimura is the top of its class. And of course, you know, shit goes aside. Um, you're, you play as Isaac Clark, who is pretty much a silent protagonist in this game. And um, at the very beginning of the game, you're joined by a, f- uh, a couple of other crew members. And even from the very beginning of the game, you feel like you are Isaac Clark sitting on the Kellyan as it, as it rolls up to the Ishimura. And it creates this beautiful atmosphere. And I remember the first bit of immersion that I want to talk about is the health bar. And in that game, from the very beginning, it's like, okay, there's no like HUD, there's no menu. Um, essentially, what happens is your one of your crew members syncs up your health, which is represented by a bar on the back of Isaac's suit, which to a certain degree is kind of genius. In other games, you'd have, you know, the... Uh, uh, some indicator on the top left or, or the bottom right but your health indicator is actually part of your costume and and part of your character which i can't remember anything else doing something like that at the time yeah no, yeah it's... and it, it was the first thing when i played it it was the first thing I, I knew i wanted to say i was like i was shocked that more games haven't copied that and stolen from it it's so good. It, it, it's so clear. It's so clean. Like the health bar on his back, and you get you get stasis power later on, and that's on his back as well. Anytime a character is talking to you, like the screen hovers in front of Isaac and some of that. Like I, I don't know why it's not used as a kind of um, like a, a kind of perfect demonstration of how to remove HUDs entirely from games. It does a great job as well. I think of when your health is low, in particular, dialing mm. up that tension and that kind of f- fear because you can constantly see it. You constantly see the back of your back is like shit when we're hitting and dead. Um, but yeah, it helps massively with the with the immersion. It's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And then building on that is your stasis pack, which is you know with the the humans have gotten to a certain level where technology kind of gives them powers, which is you know it's a, a bit cheap, maybe. Um, I would say I I personally didn't think it needed to be well, in the it, game, it, but it, it does. It, it was definitely it was definitely. Definitely a gameplay mechanic first. They were like, oh, we want Isaac to be able to freeze things and move things. Um, it doesn't really fit into the world building that a regular Joe Schmo would be given the, <laughs> the power of telekinesis, you know, but it, it works for the gameplay. Because <laughs> that's the thing about Isaac, right, is that he, he may be wearing a power suit. He may look a bit like kind of a Master Chief type character, but you're playing as an engineer in that space. You're, you're kind of a regular guy. Yeah, you're a regular guy. He's an everyman, right? And like even from the very beginning, I think there's two shots of his face in the entire game, which is the very beginning yeah, I think you're right. and the very end. And he looks a bit derpy. No, do you know who he looks like? He looks like a, a young Adam Baldwin. It's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Does he? So Liam, the minute we mentioned that Isaac Clark looks like Adam Baldwin, you disconnected. I, I found that offensive to all the Baldwins out there. Even though he's he, he's the guy who's not a real Baldwin, right? What? Adam Baldwin is just another man called Baldwin. He's not a part of the Baldwins. <laughs> yeah, one of them, one of them isn't related at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's the one that. from Firefly and Full yeah. Metal Jacket. He's not a part of the Baldwin family. Sometimes <laughs> he, he sits blew, in at dinner. He just blew Owen's mind. Oh, 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 shocked. No, this is it's something I knew because we've seen enough Adam Baldwin movies in our time. And I love that I love Marcy that the the, the references that Liam goes to are Firefly and Full Metal Jacket and my Adam Baldwin references Sharks and Venice. Sharks and Venice. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, the wrong different. Adam Baldwin. That's the wrong Baldwin. Oh, Sharks and Venice is Stephen, isn't it? Or <laughs> oh, Dan- Daniel, oh, I think. <laughs> Oh, it's, there's too many oh, of them. Man, we're through the Baldwin looking glass, people. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Stephen Baldwin is Stephen, Stephen Baldwin. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So no- the only thing I remember that movie is that it is how it ended when he turns to, he turns to the police and goes, "There's no sharks in Venice." And then all three of us were just like, "There is sharks in Venice." Stephen Baldwin, you were fighting them for an hour and a half. 
Oh, so none of the Baldwins are in dead space. Uh, going back to immersion, guys, <laughs> because the Baldwins have broken it, apparently. Um, I want to talk about um, the an, another added element, which is... I actually think it's one of the first games at the time where I can remember like all of the game essentially using like the full in-game engine. So it's almost like there's no FMV sequences. You know, it doesn't like, you know, having just played Final Fantasy VII Remake, you know, they, even though like the graphics are so good, you can still tell that when it's going between a 3D cutscene and gameplay. In Dead Space, I'm fairly certain that the entire game is just all in-game. Yeah. Yeah, reminds me of Half-Life. Um, Half-Life did the same. Yeah, or, or it's almost like God of War. Like, I don't think it cuts or anything like that. I think you, as soon as Isaac steps off the ship, the ship at the beginning, I think you, it just plays straight through. I think he gets knocked out once and wakes up. Other than that, it kind of just, it, it's cool that it feels real time. You know, it, you do feel like you're kind of stuck in this horrifying ship, you know, for about 10 hours, you know? And that's because, like, essentially all of the exposition and all of the story and everything is told through two ways really one is environmental and i think you know liam you said that it maybe didn't have the impact that it did the first time you played it but what struck me the second time playing it was how much more attention i think i was paying to like everything that was written on the walls this time around Mm. and that that kind of blew me away there was a there was an extra level attention to detail from the developers that it really, you know, apart from the audio logs and apart from the text logs, that the what was written on the walls really just builds this sense of atmosphere. And and uh, 2008's favorite means of telling a story in a video game, the old audio book, the you audio pick up file. the audio log or whatever. Yeah, that really oh, brought sure. me back to to yeah. that area. But yeah, games don't really do that anymore. It's done yeah. well in Death Face, though, because I, I yeah, and it's it's like, it's. A minimum as well. It's not low. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not overused at all. And I, I I didn't find myself skipping any of them or or anything like that. I thought some of them really added a lot of a lot of depth and tension to it. Yeah. But every game did it, didn't they? In like two thousand and six, yeah. like two thousand and nine. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, you, Marcy, of... you, go ahead, Liam. No, go on. You go. Sorry. No, I was going off topic. We can edit this out. <laughs> Why are you making this so hard for me? Every time we do a podcast, we talk straight through for two fucking hours. Today it's like, well, I'm going to have a cup of tea. What are you going to do, Liam? Yeah, fucking hell. Go on, Liam. You but, go. Um, yeah. But um, graphically, this game has aged incredibly well. Like, obviously, it's it's not perfect compared to what we have now. But um, more so than the graphics, though, the thing that really jumped out at me is the sound design in this game is absolutely incredible. And, you te- and you're talking about telling the story through the environment. I don't know the t- how to. I, I don't know if I described it as telling the story, but c- kind of making you feel like you're on board that ship with just the sounds that you're hearing all the time, and even just a quiet corridor, even when there's nothing really monstrous going on, or when you open out into the vacuum of space and stuff like that, and everything goes and gets like you know really quiet and stuff like that. It's like for me, that hasn't aged a day. That's still top of the range sound design in that game. It's so it's good. One of, the, one of the main reasons I found it so uh, so terrifying. Um, but one thing happened to me today when I was playing it, which is on this topic. I was um, I, ju- I just kind of text messaged. I put down my controller and I didn't hit pause or anything like that. I was just ty- typing away and all the scary background noise of like the ship settling and like clanging and you know all that kind of stuff in the background. But then I heard a voice going like. Oh, First time I've heard that since I played it. Absolutely yeah. scared the shit out of me. That was but me. I, we were still we were still connected on Discord. <laughs> You're doing your Abe impression again. <laughs> yeah. uh, preparing for this podcast. But the sound design is and the music is just absolutely it just adds so much to the atmosphere. It's really, really top notch stuff. Well the I think the atmosphere is second to none. And I, I totally agree with Liam. And I think another thing of note and for its time. Right, even though it holds up today, something that we, you know, we've gotten advancements in ray tracing, which lends itself a lot to lighting. And holy shit, playing a game from two thousand and eight and experiencing the lighting effects that that game has, combined obviously with the sound, it is unbelievable. It is so unnerving. How you know, and it's very basic things, right? Like as in. 
like it's ba- well it's basic to the degree of you need a fleshed out world so everything has a purpose within that world um but like even how the ship is designed from little tiny holes in the ship and how those reflect light and then how that then reflects off either bodies or fat like i think they like use fans a lot in in the game for for movement that you think that there's something ahead i've like i can it's even hard now for me to put uh put my finger on games that use it to that degree maybe resident evil 7 silent hill but silent hill is so subdued in its color palette anyway and that's not necessarily what it's about like i can i think it just well i think it just it, it obviously tried to capture the feeling of like an alien or maybe not aliens but then like event horizon i think it i think just the art direction in that attempt me, means it's aged really really well um it, it is lacking a bit of detail when you walk around the ship and stuff. Some rooms are very empty, some tables and blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I kind of think back to games around that time, yeah, I can't think of anything else that does as good a job of creating this creepy atmosphere where every time I'm walking to a corner, I'm just like, I hope there's nothing around this corner. I hope it's going to be okay. And it generally isn't. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it, it, there's few games that kind of create that level of atmosphere that's, that's held up so well. Like what, that's 13? 12, 13 years 13 ago? Years That's crazy. Ago. Oof. I know. I think one of the things that really helps with that is I think it has one of the all-time great video game monsters as like the main enemy in it. Marcy, before you played it, did you know what it, did you know what the creatures were or did you know what you were fighting against or did you just know it was like generic space aliens? No idea. No idea. Yeah. Genuinely. I, I, I thought it was going to be more kind of, and I was kind of right in a way, I thought it was going to be more that the, they would find uh kind of you know the the crew are dead and they're coming back to life in some sort of weird maybe kind of you know zombie like way or something like that didn't know they'd be so fucking gangly <laughs> and full of so many limbs like that i don't know if you guys like replaying it like for you guys like the the first 20 minutes of that game are still really intense like that first time you have a necromorph who's chasing you Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it's, it basically tells you how to run in the game, and I'm trying to read that, and then I hear this thing chasing me. Um, and you run around a corner, you're into the elevator. Um, they, I think they do lose their creepiness once you kind of figure out how to take them down. Um, but again, they're they're terrifying. And, and again, I think for them, it's the sound design. The noises they make are absolutely Jesus Christ. I have a massive fear of gangly things, and gangly is the perfect word to actually use. Right. The, pers- the personal one. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but on the enemies, I actually... the One thing that the game does, and it does it so unbelievably well, is it almost shows you exactly where the enemy type like fits in in the universe. So as in, you know, you have your normal slashers, which are essentially like the cannon fodder... Uh, you know we're just like they come at you in numbers so those guys essentially like flank you they come out of the ceiling they come out of the vents um and then there's guys like the leapers um and actually i didn't pick it up until this this time playing around but the lurkers which are the reanimated babies Mm, and never stated never stated but you can infer you can infer that they're supposed to be children or babies yeah so essentially, like what <laughs> what the game does, Morrissey, and like, again, right? I didn't pick this up at all the first time I was playing it. Was it goes back to that environmental storytelling? It's like look at where and how the interaction, your first time interaction with the enemies, actually plays out. And for the for the lurkers, essentially, it's all of these. How would you describe it, Liam? Like test tube babies that are floating in a lab, and that's where the lurkers like first appear. So even with their, because they're reanimated humans, right? So that makes sense. And one of my, like a couple of my favorites were the infectors who were essentially the bat like creatures who you see them essentially like an operating table. And they're almost like the, um, from alien. Oh, help me out here, guys. They are essentially Dead Space's facehuggers who, instead of planting an alien, reanimate that corpse into a special type of uh, necromorph. 
Jesus Christ. Can we do Animal Crossing next week? Like, <laughs> mid, middle, of a, middle of a pandemic, and here we are, like, fucking hell. That's, that's terrifying, though. One thing, though, I noticed, though, it, who gives the names to the aliens? In the game, I don't think anyone really... No, I think Owen is using his own knowledge. I'm here. using the my... in-game. Because they have to reference him from the de- development point of view, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was an interesting choice, though, that they're not really named or branded or anything in the game. And it, like it adds to it, because the whole thing is like they're meant to be an extension of the crew who were there, right? So as in like not giving them a name and putting you in this situation really it, it would take you out of the building of of tension and the the building of what is actually happening in that world but marcy you said something great in terms of how that game builds tension and like is there something around the next corner because part of what like uh comparing it to resident evil 2 which i'm you know playing the two of them together was you know Res- resident evil has always had this like safe zone and it's essentially your save area where you have your 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 box where you can uh, hold your items. And what I found playing Dead Space is you have those select areas, but there's occasions throughout the game where they will throw a curveball at you. And they absolutely annihilated me with one of them. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's, you can come to these things called benches. Which is yeah. where you upgrade, which where you upgrade your weapons and your suit and stuff like that. And d- d- am I right here? No, d- d- this wasn't just bad timing on my part. There is one enemy that attacks you while you're using a bench. Yeah, d- d- yeah. That's a not fair, but I'll forgive it because it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it was really, really effective. You think that like you think you're safe because you're in a menu, you're doing gamey stuff, and then yeah, he attacks you while you're using it. And I actually almost dropped the controller, almost fumbled the controller. And I had no memory of that from my first playthrough all those years ago. Completely got me. It's a great gameplay mechanic. The fact that you can't, even pausing doesn't save you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, I, you're, there you're was always one, vulnerable. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's one bit very late, late, well, late enough in the game where I, um, you know, the, the level design usually loops back. You end up going back to true places you've come to already. And I was like, oh, well, it was in a really bad spot. And I went up to the shop because there's shop is where you can buy um, items like med kits or ammo, whatever you need. And I went up to the shop and I was like, the menu opens like, Doo-doo. and I was just like, wait, I was scrolling and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not alone in the room. <laughs> I closed the shop and turned around and I was not joking. There was like four enemies in the room with me and I barely just got around in time. But it, I felt safe because I've been through that room again. But the game loves to like take away your safety net like that. You know, it does the same with ammo. I did. I didn't know that going into to Dead Space that like you know you're literally always looking for ammo. That it's always low. And you have to be so so particular with the shots you're taking. Um, I wish I had read that before I played it. Tell, tell me about your well, uh, yeah. like thoughts and experience with the weapons, Marcy, because I think it's probably, if anything, um, something that Dead Space is so fondly remembered for, um, both from a, a practical point of view, but also from like a gameplay point of view, because it's so unusual to be using essentially everyday engineering items for the most part well well space space engineering <laughs> items. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i don't know what job you had when you were using a fucking power cutter or whatever it's called <laughs> plasma cutter oh it's just someone using stasis around the house uh i what's the i can't remember is it the pulse rifle is that what it's called the pulse yeah, yeah that i think that's amazing i i, I think the one thing i i I kind of worry about games of this a lot of the time. And it's one of my complaints with why I haven't always loved Resident Evil is that um, I always find the controls a little cumbersome and kind of a little bit like you're not great and the combat isn't very good. I loved the combat in Dead Space. Um, I thought the the guns were brilliant. Um, Some of them are kind of pointless, don't really do anything, and you think they're going to be great, and they're absolutely not. Um, But the pulse rifle thing is really, really cool. Even just the idea of being able to change kind of the the axis of how it shoots, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you can kind of, you know, you. Wait, no, that's the that's the plasma that, cutter. That's, that's the plasma, plasma cutter. cutter. That's that's yeah. what I'm referring to. Sorry. Um, the you know, I was like, one. yeah, it's it's so great. Like I didn't want to change it for most of the game uh, because I had so much fun using it. Um, but yeah, no, I know. I think it's man, the, the absolutely brilliant sound design for them again is great. It, it, I love the the feedback using them. I love the the, the sci fi nature to them. Um, but again, you're right. They are just kind of engineering tools. He's not like a, a soldier for hire or anything yeah. like that. So that, that, very that's cool. The thing in my memory, like like the plasma cutter is like I said, the iconic one, and it's the one I remember like changing from horizontal to vertical and how your shot speed mm. to better dismember the enemies. 
Uh, there's a weapon you get very early on called the pulse rifle, which is mm-hmm. what you were calling, but that's the one that's yeah, literally yeah. just a, a, like a soldier's gun. And I actually came to resent that because I think it kind of went away from the philosophy that the other weapons had. Yeah. It felt more like a traditional um, gun you get in any other game. And to add to that, it was like really useful. Mm. Like, um, like, yeah, you do you can kill enemies quicker by um, dismembering their, their limbs. But there was a bunch of parts in that game where I found it equally effective to just lay into enemies with that pulse rifle, at least to slow them down. So I kind of wish it wasn't in it. Now I know like I'm... I, I'm in control of myself. I could have chosen not to use it, but I was scared and I wanted to use it. Kind of <laughs> but I do. I, I don't remember thinking this from my first playthrough, but I did think it kind of, it was weird that they put it in, especially as such an early weapon where you have to most of the game. Cause it kind of, for me, it goes to be opposite way there. The philosophy of the other guns, which are things to dismember enemies uh, precisely and stuff like that. Like I love the line gun, which is the one. It's like shooting. You know, if I was ever yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, if I was ever overwhelmed, that was one I took out because it just fires a massive horizontal line in front, kind of slices your anything else in front of you. It's not that strong, but it can like, if you hit hit a couple of enemies and like in the in the midriff, you know, you can cut them in half and have them on the floor rather than rushing you. So that was pretty pretty cool. But yeah, I prefer stuff like that, and you know, rather than um, seeing an enemy in the other side of a corridor or taking out the pulse rifle and sort of sniping him before he can get to you, it kind of feels like. You know, and this is a compliment. It feels like that's what a more traditional game would do. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it's it, it's in there. I I wholly agree. Uh, this time pl- playing it true, I pretty much used the plasma cutter, um, and their version of the uh, what you would, I suppose you would call a uh, almost like a stasis um, saw. But there was something <laughs> just so incredibly satisfying. So you know, to 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 preface what this game does really well and different to anything else is you'd, you know, compared to a resident evil compared to a traditional survival horror, like the one thing is like, what it's a zombie. So what do you do? You go for the head and you're, you know, as from a gameplay point of view, you're drilled into, okay, the head is the best place to shoot. That's how they're going to die the fastest. But this is (laughs) going back to the gangly is they have these extorted limbs. So by cutting them off the limbs, you essentially dismember them. But what's like what's amazing is seeing and cutting off a necromorph's leg and then how their body adapts to that situation and how they continue to move. And th- that like that imagery is super terrifying. Yeah, like I said, they're all time great video game enemies slash monsters and like they're whoever came up with them must have been delighted because as soon as you come up with that as an idea for a central game mechanic for an action or a horror game it's actually genius especially in that time when there was so many maybe more so now there were so many shooters back then what a great way to immediately differentiate from the other ones completely you completely change your style of play how you how you play something like half-life or any other shooter and it's weird because i don't like maybe it's because the franchise doesn't necessarily really exist anymore but like I'm trying to think of other um, games that have adopted that, you know, a different style of approach. Like I'm playing Resident Evil 2 again. And again, it's the same thing of like, go for the head. You know, and I think back to the other Resident Evils and even the, you know, a Resident Evil 7. Again, your initial thing is go for the head. And I can't think well, of anything least, that's least, invented yeah, at least in, or innovated. At least in those games, it's worth going for the shin and stuff like that. You can kind of select the... The places where you shoot enemies really matter. Like if you want to slow an enemy down, you can hit them in the in the leg and stuff of like that. But yeah, you're right. And when you when you're going to for the kill, it's yeah, it's always a headshot. Mm-hmm. What I like about them as well is that you never know if they're really dead. The amount of times I've I think I've killed them, I'm like, oh, okay, about to push on again. Now the room cleared, and then suddenly, and I'm fucking bashing a to get this gangly lad off of my back. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's really cool though. I do love the way that they tell you, you know, it's a bit overkill at the start about aiming for the limbs. It's like written on the walls. I think it's about four or five audio files. It's a bit much, but it is a really cool mechanic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it comes up as a just an on screen prompt. Like the first time you find an enemy, yeah. it comes up, it comes up, aim for the limbs. I think, like, 
the environment and just the, the the manner of your weapon, how the plasma cutter is, would be so much. You, you'd you'd infer you you kind of realize that you have to cut off their limbs. I agree with you. It was overkill. Like the first ten minutes of that game are just like we came up with this mechanic where you have to shoot their limbs off. Please do it. And yeah, I think the game, the game could have taught you that much more subtly and elegant ways than than um, straight up telling you to do it. Yeah, sure. Marcy, I'm gonna pose this question to you. Mm. What? would you want from a dead space sequel oh, having so you know to preface there's three games in the the mainline series and mm-hmm. you know i know you have limited knowledge of them so, and to dive a small bit into them without really ruining too much but i'm curious to know what you would want from a sequel hmm it's a good question because Again, I, you know, I'm sorry I keep coming back to Alien and Aliens, but you know the way Alien is such a different movie than the sequel, that kind of huge departure where Cameron kind of made it this, you know, more of an action movie than a suspense movie. Um, with Dead Space, man, I think I always want to know more of the story. I want to know more about Isaac. Um, I know, like, I, and I hand up, I never, I actually didn't finish it, not because I was terrified. That was part of it, um, but also just because it was, it's, it's a, it's a tricky game. Um, but I think for me. I loved the story, the hallucinations, this weird kind of alien creature thing. What's it called again? This big alien kind of stone thing. Marker. It's called marker. That's it. Yeah. Um, I would just want some more of the same, man. Like I, and like, again, you're, you're asking someone though, who doesn't play survival horror games that often. Um, but now does see the appeal to them for sure. So I think more of the same would be interesting for me. Um, I know dead space two isn't as critically acclaimed as the first one. So, dead. The Dead Space trilogy are a textbook study of a game franchise losing its soul in like mm. three games, to be honest. And I say this is someone who really likes the second one. How, when you say when you say soul, like how do you mean that kind of the the suspense the, kind of horror? Very, thing, very, very simply, just slowly morphing into an action game rather than a horror game. Okay, well, you yeah, touched so, on it, Marcy. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. If yeah. Dead Space <laughs> One is you know Ridley Scott's Alien, Dead Space Two is. Uh, Cameron's aliens. Mm. You know, it's yeah. which again, that, that can work. I get that it can work, but yeah, for, for I, I, yeah, that's a missed opportunity there for sure. Cause yeah. I think I like, you know, the, in terms of tone setting and atmosphere setting, thinking of dead space one, I think there's something really, really special about the, the opening of that game. Um, it making Ishimura almost a character within itself. To me, it's actually one of the uh, iconic uh, video game locations there's just there's something about it um it, mainly probably because i'm such a huge fan of alien as well that just that those type of single locations i'm a sucker for in any yeah. any format um compared to like the opening of dead space 2 which almost puts isaac clark as a superhero you know it's it's almost turning like it's taking ridley and doing what aliens 2 did which is turning her invincible the, the opening really reminded me of Mass Effect 2 as well. Like, I know the Normandy in Mass Effect isn't as much of a character as, say, the, the, the ship is in Dead Space, but um, yeah, man, around that time, game openings were great. Like, they're always just so memorable. Like, My, Bioshock was super memorable yeah. as well. Mass Effect 2, uh, just so many. Um, but yeah, that's disappointing about Dead Space 2. But now I don't have to play <laughs> it, so that's great. Dead Space 2 is actually great. Um, it hadn't done its full transition uh, to an action game, which happened in Dead Space 3. Also, I remember Dead Space 3 being the first time I ever heard the two words together, uh, microtransaction. I, 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 it was the first time I ever heard it. You could buy ammo with real money in that game. This is Yeah, it would literally because... come up in the bench like you can't what craft this. Is the point of that? Wow. Um, that is so that, what, what happened, Marcy, was Dead Space became a cult uh, classic but it didn't sell like it sold fine like Owen said but it didn't sell loads and the publisher is EA and EA they didn't want to be spending this money on a, on a game that sells fine and they were just like well clearly horror isn't selling so the, they, they just kept getting the development team I believe Owen correct me if I'm wrong here they got, they got pressure to make it more action driven as it went on to the point where the third one isn't co-op, co-op action, action shooter yeah it's wow. co-op yeah well thank god that's the only time EA have ever done that <laughs> Learn their lesson afterwards, I guess. Yeah, it's a co-op action shooter where, and I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that, where they, you know, essentially, you know, they have 
the dead becomes army of the dead where the aliens have weapons in their hands wow okay now i need to do it this is because playing it again like like and finishing it again i really just did feel like it, it sucks that we have to be on this podcast talking about it in the past sense like this it doesn't deserve to be already a dead franchise you know what i think it had so much potential and i'd love for something to happen with the ip maybe now with all the years past you know may, maybe people would be like loving another kind of straight horror um kind mm-hmm. of um reboot or like a, a late sequel i just think it's a shame and i do blame ea they just like they it really just like i i have great affection for that era of gaming but i i remember a lot of that as well i remember a lot of kind of kind of games like 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 being the same as each other being brown shooters and even like one like dead space just kind of being slowly morphed into something it wasn't by developers sorry by publishers who really didn't understand the ip they had in their hands you know it, it really i think it was really around the time where video games companies start to realize how much of a massive industry this is going to be yeah. and how much money they mm-hmm. could make off of it yeah so, fake bullets yeah exactly <laughs> but like God, i can't believe i actually can't believe that but is that similar and you guys are bigger resident evil fans than i am is that similar what happened with kind of resident evil 5 and resident evil 4 wasn't 5 kind of more of a co-op kind of a shooter as well resident evil has now all these years later resident evil has a really weird kind of um pattern where it, it it does something um it you know it is what it is and then kind of runs its ideas into the ground it's around but then kind of gets reinvented and it's happened twice now so yeah resident evil 4 would have been the first big reinvention and that was a huge breath of fresh air and it's in mm-hmm. my top three games of all time i think that game is perfect to this day but then five was a kind of a co-op thing and it's fun actually like five is shit on a didn't lot, we play that Morrison together or liam it was one of us played a it's, lot of that yeah. together I remember uh, yeah, playing it once at your old place in Limerick, yeah. Yeah, and then by the time it got to six, six just began become straight action. It, it was it, it was like an anime, Resident Evil Six. But then what happened? You know, people again like were saying, "Oh, Resident Evil has run itself into the ground. This is the end of Resident Evil." Another reinvention with Resident Evil Seven, um, um, reinvention of its aesthetics. But what they did that time was kind of go back more to its roots and became straight horror again. Resident Evil, Resident Evil is just a, the, the little franchise that could can't keep them down. Maybe I can post another question to you guys. Why why aren't survival horror games, like, why aren't there more of them? Like, I'm thinking of, um, um oh, what's his name? Uh, Kojima's uh, PT. PT. Yeah, I, I, you'd be very surprised, played that. Uh, did not. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Like, that's the scariest uh, yeah, experience PT ever. PT is so uh, scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, remember <laughs> playing, I played it after work in the office, and I was, like, surrounded by people, and I was still like, no, can't do this, so I'm going to be really cool and just be like, yeah, I'm going to In all fairness, Marcy, you there. played a lot of Slenderman. I fucking did, yeah. Oh, that's not. Let's move on again. But uh, uh, why, like, that obviously didn't become, a, uh, you know, a full release. Again, why is there no place for survival horror games now? There is. You think there, there is, is now? It's because like, what, what's, what, what's like a popular one right now? The, the Resident Evil, like the last three main Resident Evil releases have been straight um, survival horrors again, and I think um, just to kind of loop back to where I was, was the point I made at the beginning. Um, this is why I actually wasn't as blown away by Dead Space replaying it as I was in um, 2008. I think now, historically looking back at Dead Space, I think it's sandwiched into two eras of games i think it's sandwiched between like the old school stuff when you had survival horror was much more of a mainstay and it came out in a time where people weren't really making games like that anymore and what i noticed about it playing it is that it has a lot of survival horror trappings like there's things that i really appreciate about it i loved i had problems with inventory space in that game i like anything that makes you uncomfortable like that like oh i don't have enough room for all my health and my ammo yada yada but I still think it's a kind of um, like it's making concessions towards like being an action game as well. It's like it, it, it's where the trappings of survival horror. But one of the main things, I'm sorry, I'm kind of um, digressing that. But one of the main things is like that I think is such a good good mechanic until I started thinking about it. If you click down the right analog stick, I don't know what it was on PC. A line comes out of Isaac and tells you exactly where you need to go. Yeah, and it's fun. another it's another great example of. Not having no HUD, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant visually. It's communicated visually, but for me, that mechanic immediately states that the level design isn't fantastic. That it's never going to ask you to have to kind of learn the level design 
and become acquainted with it and kind of struggle to navigate it. And I'm fine with that not being something they wanted to do, but the game clearly wants to be a survival horror. And I think a big part of survival horrors are exploring and sussing it out. And like I talked about with Zelda dungeons, like being these big level puzzles. And I think it's one of the reasons why I disagree with you on. I don't think the Ishimura is a classic video game location for that reason, that it's just the game wants to have you on a rail the whole time. It, wants to, it, want, it never wants you to, to not know where you're going. And that's why I think it's sandwiched in between two eras of better survival horror games. I think now these days you have the new Resident Evil games. You have the amazing Alien Isolation, which was mm. such a good game. Great game. And, that, and that's a game like, and Dead Space really reminded me of Alien Isolation um, because Dead Space is a game that is terrifying as, we, as we've discussed but like I said, with the line that tells you exactly where you need to go, like it's a game that's very comfortable with you being comfortable in in, in some ways. I think a good survival horror game, you should I, like <laughs> Alien Isolation makes all these uh, these choices that like make the game harder than it needs to be. But like having having access to bad radars and bad maps and having and having to being being stalked by an enemy is scarier. And as scary as I think Dead Space is playing it these days made me kind of realize that yeah it's kind of half a horror game only for me i kind of wanted to get to that but even though i compliment it as being really scary it's i think any horror game it's kind of an oxymoron for a horror game to make me i I said at the beginning i found it so comfortable to get through i I couldn't put it down and i think a good horror game you kind of want to put it down after two hours (laughs) you know yeah and as someone who doesn't enjoy playing horror games that much i didn't find it scary like i don't think i was scared playing it i was just stressed stressed yeah yeah it it does stress very well it like yeah so really stressed out all the time but you're right i i never got lost i never like said oh i wonder is is my path through this room over here i should go explore that it it felt very linear i felt like it was really pulling me through the the ship kind of as quick as quickly as it could um yeah, I don't, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as someone who kind of feels yeah. the, the ship is this kind of and, this, this character. And as someone who's playing Dead Space and Resident Evil 2 side by side right now, it's a very interesting juxtaposition because I'm getting thrills from both of them, but in different ways. So I think it's fair to say that the RPD station in Resident Evil 2 is also you know, one of the most iconic uh, video game locations as well. And they're both like haunted houses, but different experiences. So I actually appreciate the linearity of the 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 Dead Space location because if to me it feels like when you go to the the fun fair and you essentially step on the platform for the spooky house and it takes you through all of the 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 actual scares. So Resident Evil <laughs> is a haunted house, and it's a ghost train. Exactly. Is that yeah, that's you know, and then Re- you know, yeah. Resident Evil is kind of like the you know the Casaloma experience where you're set off by yourself, and there's characters in there, but you discover your ro- own way around your own path. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're 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 two ve- very different experiences. And actually, you know, Liam, one of the spinoff games. And I definitely played it with one of you guys. Is Dead Space Extraction for the Wii, which is the light gun shooter. That, that was me. Yeah, we played that. And I, yeah. I, and that's <laughs> it's actually a very, um, it's a very uh, apt game to talk about because Dead Space One is to a certain degree kind of like the third person version of that light gun shooter, and that's what it feels like, right? It feels like a bit of a roller coaster that you're being uh, guided through. Whilst Resident Evil has a far more um, different type of scare for me, you know, I, I and I would agree that the, you know, is it the is Dead Space one of the scariest games of all time? I wouldn't say that it's scary, but it there's, I'm a sucker for completely atmospheric, you know, and it's kind of like yeah. is Midsummer. One of the scariest movies of all time. No, it is not. But is it one of the most tense experiences I've ever had watching a movie? Fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I I think and I'm happy that there's there's room for for both. And 
I think on like the the progress of like the Resident Evil side of things with the first person seven point of view, it's uh to me it's a bit more of a a blend to a certain degree. So I think there's I think there's different verticals and different silos that you can put these uh, like location experiences into. What's interesting is that right after Dead Space came out, um, a new era of horror games kind of began with Amnesia, The Dark Descent, and stuff like that, and Outlast. And I, I'm not I don't know my years exactly, but it's all around this and time. Liam, and then PT was around. Liam, that. It's funny, right? So Marcy asked, "Where have the it kind of like the adventure games that we spoke about on our previous episode of the uh, Telltale and The Walking Dead? It's you know where are the adventure games now? I think a lot of the you know, quote unquote, survival horror games. A lot of that is actually to be found in the indie space. Yeah, mm. but it, it, it's interesting because it goes from person to person of what really scares you when you're playing a game. And I've played like the likes of Amnesia and PT is horrifying, right? Mm. Um, but these are games that limit your options as a player. So you are by design defenseless. You are just a person who has to wander around and do it, do what you do. What I find really scary in horror games and, you know, like the name survival horror is when I'm given more options. That's what makes me more tense. That's what makes me more scared. If I have to worry about ammo conservation, if I have to worry about what resident evil does extremely well, resident evil two remake uh, does it brilliantly. Uh, The resident evil one remake for the GameCube, which is an absolute outright masterpiece. That is better than any game I've ever played. It it was any, any game I've ever played is that navigating the space becomes scarier because your decisions affect it. There's zombies in that. If you don't burn their corpses, they get up and they're stronger and you don't have enough lighter fluid to burn all of them. So you have to start making these choices. That's what starts scaring me when I have to make choices about what guns I use, what ammo I save, what rooms I make easier to backtrack through. If I need to go back, what ones I, I allow the strong zombies to survive in because, you know, maybe I won't have to use that room, but that makes that puts a nod in my stomach to know I have to make these decisions. And that's what scares me in the game much more than something like Amnesia, where, yeah, it's atmospheric and scary, but I know that my options are limited. I either survive or I'll die. And I found that with Dead Space in its worst moments where I was just felt, felt like, you know, oh, yeah, it'll kill me and I'll respawn outside the room. But in some sections of the game, it kind of vacillated. Some sections of the game, I really did go like, that last fight, there's, a, there's an enemy in Dead Space, if you remember him, who you can't kill, you're stuck mm-hmm. in a room with him and he regenerates. And I ended up sinking ammo into him to defend myself. And I ended up enjoying the next hour of the game much more because I was fucked in terms of my resources, my ammo. Can I ask you why? Like everything you just described there, like I get it, totally get your it's a great point. <laughs> but to someone like me, I'm like, that doesn't sound enjoyable at all. That sounds like I, I'm going to play a video game with one hand tied behind my back. And like I love challenging video games. But for a video game to give me a knot in my stomach, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess I'm just not a horror fan. So I'd love to know why does that kind of suck you in so much? I do, I do think it's like the challenge. And I think you'll always, you'll always react to something that's absorbing your full attention more than something that you can kind of play almost passively. And I'm not talking about Dead Space now. Not a, not a one minute of that game that I played passively. I was completely engaged by it. But I think it's that thing where... Yeah, you might be frightened at the time, Marcy, but you remember that game for years. Mm-hmm. You'll remember a game that made you like a, a stomach, your stomach type and knots and made you make all these decisions. And especially like for me as well, Marcy, like good game design just fucking excites me, you know? And like to go back to the Resident Evil 1 example, uh, the Resident Evil 1 remake, um, that is just astoundingly good game design from start to finish, astoundingly good level design. That, and I have um, childhood, ha- childhood, childhood hang-ups about that game from the PS1 version of it. I, it's funny. I, I do. I like the, the Spencer Mansion just is ingrained in my heart. It's just something that terrifies me because it terrified me when I was a kid to the point where I finished Resident Evil 1, but I didn't do it alone. Me and my friend were passing the controller to each other. I have such an inherent, inherent fear of it. So that's kind of a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a cheat there. You, you asked me, like, why would you play a game like that? My answer is, I wouldn't alone. But... <laughs> but <laughs> But that's the thing. I think Dead Space has so much going for it in terms of that. But I, I f- fundamentally, by not leaning into the more um, mechanics of survival horrors and um, the things that make um, um, horror games like difficult and difficult choices, I, I, find, I like find it more of an action game than a horror game. Even though all these years later, it's much more of a horror game than its sequels. 
I just want to add that Liam is currently sitting in almost yeah. complete darkness. <laughs> uh, as he's as he's and it's terrifying. Yeah, it's adding yeah, to even, the the sun has gone down since we started this. <laughs> it is perfect timing though. <laughs> no, no no electricity apparently where Liam is currently based. Um yeah. I didn't notice. I haven't looked at my own picture in ages. Sorry. Oh god. <laughs> Well, Marcy, it, it's you know, it's a it's a valid question, and it, it it is one to to difficult to answer because I think it is so inherent to the individual, right? So, like I said, I had to completely preface that there's something about the cliche of the type of horror setting that Dead Space is in. So it's you know, I'll be the first person to say that I genuinely love Event Horizon for its b-movie silliness um Mm -hmm. alien is one of my favorite movie movies of all time but there's things like movies like deep blue sea that i just love the idea of a single facility where sharks are just fucking running rampant there's (laughs) way too many shark references uh in this uh, in this podcast no no um and most recently, we've seen too many shark movies as a trend. That's why. <laughs> yeah. if, we continue, if we continue to do this podcast, the shark references will only increase. We could do an entire podcast dedicated to the, the shark movies we've watched. Oh, true. I've Someone. never seen Citizen Kane, but I've seen the fucking shark attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Double headed shark attack. Um, <laughs> and uh, most recently, like a, a movie that doesn't necessarily have like critically acclaimed but i absolutely loved it for many reasons is uh underwater which is a kristen stewart movie where essentially people are just trapped in this oil rig at the very bottom of the pacific like deep deep fucking pacific ocean uh other reasons because it's a cthulhu movie and that came out is it oh spoilers yeah thanks yeah, just ruined yeah. it there yeah uh which one of the balls is in it? all of them they play cthulhu's tentacles um dead space dead space is a bit lovecraft and that's the thing actually, there's the, the marker the marker and all that. so like part of the allure for me it has a lot to do with one of the location but two of, is that imagery and that's just so Ill- bit in, inbuilt into my appreciation for horror anything lovecraftian um and anything almost like single location based i'm just a pure sucker for and i just i just inherently just find that scary because there's a bit claustrophobic right it's it's very choking that came sometimes one thing one problem with those i think it only has a few tricks up its sleeve in terms of scaring you though do you know when the first time a necromorph jumps out of a fan at you and you're like ah Mm. and then you you're like oh i got him oh but another guy had appeared behind me that's scary that's fine they do that like all the time to the point where it became automatic to shoot the guy in front of me first and turn around because I knew there was another guy. I kind of wish they kind of mixed it up more as it went on. I'm trying to think. I'm I'm almost trying to compare it to Silent Hill because I'm almost trying to put Silent Hill in a bucket itself. But and the, as Marcy leaves the the room, <laughs> he said he's not coming back. That it's just such a purely different type of horror, and it's and we're talking here, right? It's like. That's almost emotional horror to a certain degree. Yeah. When I when I was younger, I was used to think that because um, I was late getting to Silent Hill. I grew up at Resident Evil. My older brother was a huge fan. He used to buy all of them. I used to watch him play them rather than play them myself because I was, you know, um, frightened, but also not very good at those games yet. Um, navigating places and some of that. When I got a bit older and I um, went back and played Silent Hill, my, my stance was always like Resident Evil is schlocky you know monsters and dogs jump at your window silent that silent hill is adult horror mm-hmm. and i still still believe that silent hill 2 in particular has one of the most like dark mature stories you'll ever see in a video game but nowadays i find resident evil games much better because i just think they're better designed like i said like i went on about the resident evil 1 remake there but i agree with you and if you if you're saying that you think um Dead, Dead Space is really scary and you and you, you enjoy it tenfold more because of its aesthetics. That's how I feel about Silent Hill. God, I love a horror story that's based on fucking horrifying human tragedy. <laughs> and like and like and the real the real scary part of that game isn't the monsters, it's the humans, it's who yeah. your main character ends up being, you know, and what the horrifying things is done and what, what this all means. And it's all very as, as, at least for two, it's all very um metaphorical and up to you. That's I don't think Silent Hill 2 is a wonderful game gameplay wise it's definitely a good one 
but yeah, like in the same way, Dead Space is elevated for you. Silent Hill Two would be just like completely elevated for me because I I love that aesthetic. I love sad Japanese horror <laughs> in terrifying towns. Oh my god! And it's a pity, Marcy, because as we know, PT was a playable tester for what was going to be Silent Hills. Um, I just would like to add that uh, I wouldn't like to add any further comments at all about Silent Hill. I have no intention of talking about it, no intention of ever playing it. Um, Owen, I'm... I think I've said this in the podcast before, Owen <laughs> gave me a lend of Silent Hill 2 when I, like years ago. And like, I'm like, I'm six foot two. I think I can take care of myself. I played it for like maybe 18 minutes and it's like never again. I didn't even like the cartridge being in the room or the disc. Terrifying. Actually, that had a great box. I had box. that when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, I had that when I was a kid. Sorry, I had that when I was a kid. I was watching my brother play um, Resident Evil One on the PlayStation, and um, the zombie, the first zombie, turned around and scared the shit out of me. And I was so scared that I couldn't play Sonic the Hedgehog on the same Mega Drive because it was beside the PlayStation <laughs> that had the rented the Resident the- Evil disc in it. <laughs> <laughs> the two consoles were beside each other. I just wanted to fucking play Sonic Two. I wanted to go to Casino Night Zone and just, just. Oh, I don't think, yeah, oh my god. I don't think I have any memories like that. Fortunate uh, for me. Gents, I think that's a really good uh, place to wrap things up. Um, before we leave you today, I just want to give a quick shout out and thank all of our listeners for tuning in so far. The numbers have been great in terms of downloads and we are super, super happy and delighted to see where this podcast uh, is makes going. Makes us so happy, guys. Yeah. Liam texted me the other day and he said, I'm so happy. Guys, that wasn't meant for you. That was meant for my therapist. (laughs) Why'd you text your therapist? What? (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Yeah. So, thank you again to everyone. Uh, We really appreciate the support. Um, And anywhere that you could share the podcast would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, everyone. Thank you again, and goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye, bye. Thanks, and bye.